0: Welcome to Bibliotech On Air. Today we are interviewing Miss Sarah Bird, the wonderful author of The Last Dance on the Starlight Pier and Daughter of A Daughter of a Queen and many more. Just a little bit of a disclaimer, this is an earlier interview that we have done Actually, it's our very first interview that we have ever done as Bibliotech on Air. So this episode's going to sound a little bit different than our previous episodes because this is when we were just starting out with just ourselves, a little microphone, and a dream <laughs> before we upgraded to our awesome new equipment that we have today thanks to Geekdom. So thank you, Miss Sarah Bird, for interviewing with us uh, when we were first starting out. And interviewing her is myself, Ruby, and Rosanna, and our branch manager, Jesse. Thank you for tuning in, patrons, for today's episode for Bibliotech on air. We have with us Sarah Bird. She is an author of the last dance on Starlight Pier. Uh,
1: That I am. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's awesome for you to join us. Um, You're going to participate in this year's essay book fest. Is that correct?
2: I am thrilled. I love San Antonio. I like to say that I spent the happiest years of my childhood in San Antonio. Both of them. I, uh, I grew up in an Air Force family, and we were stationed at Brooks Air Force Base, and I just, I just fell in love with San Antonio. I went to a wee tiny, tiny Catholic school, which even you natives may not have heard of, holy Name Catholic school way down on the south side. Um, and I, it was just so much fun. I mean, relax, let me say. You know, it's just that San Antonio vibe. It was what I needed at that point in my hypertense childhood so I I love San Antonio it's my favorite place to visit I would live there if uh, my husband didn't have a job in Austin anyway Delighted I have pandered enough to San Antonio but I <laughs> I I'm thrilled I'm thrilled to be part of the of the San Antonio Book Festival coming up pretty shortly
1: yeah this Saturday <laughs> And
0: are you gonna be there in person or are you doing virtual?
2: Oh, total in person, Ruby.
0: Oh, in person.
2: (laughs) Entire personage will be there. My my whole corporeality, shall be in place. I mean, isn't it thrilling to kind of like actually be with human beings again? Every time I go out and I'm in a group, I remember, you know, that kind of jolt you get just from being with other human beings, and it's something I've missed, and certainly something I'm looking forward to
1: yeah that's it's very interesting we've experienced the same thing as far as programming and our patrons we've had to move a lot of our stuff to virtual and online Uh, but as i don't want to say the pandemic is winding down but as i guess more people are vaccinated and more people can go out we're starting to also get a demand for in-person programming so it's as you say uh sarah it's been awesome to see Mm -hmm. people face to face more yeah
2: yeah Human beings, who knew they could be so much fun? <laughs> <laughs> the surprise of the pandemic. <laughs> well, I'd really
1: like to talk to you about your latest book. Last Dance, on the, Last Dance the on the Starlight Pier. Pier. I, uh, I read some of the synopsis and I, I find the, uh, the heroine, the main character, so interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about
2: her? It, it sounds like she has a, a, a bit of a complicated past uh indeed she does evie grace devlin i'm glad you like her because she's a composite of uh my beloved mother who was the first person to tell me about dance marathons and kind of sparked my interest in this uh surprisingly little known phenomenon um, the dance marathons in their time were an incredible popular attraction uh, source of entertainment uh, during the height of their popularity, to give you an idea of how popular they were, they employed around the country 20,000 people putting on dance marathons in every city across the U.S. with a population of over uh, 50,000 had at least one and many smaller communities. Um, but Evie Grace, my uh, my intrepid heroine, is a combination of both my mother, who was uh, a nursing student and met my father at a barn dance in North Africa during World War II, and was just uh, you know extremely charismatic, beautiful human being in in all senses of the word. And I love being inspired by her. I love the stories that she told us growing up. Uh, and I um, so I kind of combined her with another fabulous personage that I met. Doing, during, doing my research, and um, this was June Havoc, who was, at one point, a pretty big star on Broadway and in the movies. She had been a child star in vaudeville, and she and her sister, her even more famous sister, uh, were the daughters of the most infamous stage mother ever. The stage mother uh, was so infamous that a play was based on her and her two daughters called Gypsy. And um, so her uh, sister was a famous burlesque dancer. June was uh, a child, a vaudeville child star, until vaudeville died around the time uh, June Havoc hit her teens. And she then was essentially thrown out by her mother as many children were during the Great Depression, simply because families could not afford to feed their older children. And that's why we have these memories of great gangs of teenagers riding the rails during the Great Depression. These kids were looking for a job, for a place to live. And in many cases, they were looking for a family. This was the case with June Havoc, who ended up in the dance marathons and wrote a wonderful memoir about her experiences as a, a uh, marathon dancer and so i i borrowed uh, liberally from june havoc's life liberally from my mother's life and mashed them up and created the character of Phoebe uh, grace devlin
1: that is so interesting that is really awesome to to learn i did not obviously i did not realize that when, when i was
2: reading the synopsis that's awesome yeah uh i'm really grateful to my mother who was an indiana farm girl and she had three siblings they were living on a struggling farm in indiana when the great depression hit and hard times became even harder and then they became dire because uh, my mother's father died of a heart attack at the height of the Great Depression, leaving behind widow and four children. And my mom always had this gift, though, that uh, she tried to pass along to her six children uh, with uh, more or less success of trying to find trying to find a way to make hard times bearable. And this was usually with a story, with a laugh. And so she told the story about during this, what must have been just the most desperate time imaginable into her small rural farming community, a dance marathon was held at the local Grange Hall. So in her memories and you know clearly this wasn't a regulation dance marathon but some version of a dance marathon but in her recounting of this experience it was just like just like a cross between a church supper and a sleepover and really a jolly community affair for uh, a nickel she and her friends could get into a dance marathon and stay as long as you want. And they would pack picnic lunches and go and get crushes on the boys from out of town and cheer on the local favorites. And so it just sounded like such a such a just really fun thing, you know, to add fun in a in a very dark time. So that then was my impression of the dance marathons of the Great Depression. And I didn't think much about it until 1969 when an extremely famous movie, essentially the only movie ever made about the dance marathons, uh, They Shoot Horses, Don't They, was released. It starred Jane Fonda and I don't remember who else. <laughs> but this depiction of the dance marathons was so dark. It was just so grim. It was at you know, striking odds To my own memories and the impression that my mother had left me with that I I, from that point forward, I just had the suspicion that there must be more to the story than what Hollywood had told us in this movie. And as soon as I began my research, I certainly found out that was true.
0: So we're going to go ahead and take a little break here and enjoy listening to our pre-recorded ad breaks. Has this ever happened to you? I want to know where my family's from, but I don't know where to start or who am I? Well then look no further with FamilySearch, access records, family trees, and more. If you need help, there's a tutorial on how to get started. Go back to your roots with FamilySearch today. And if FamilySearch isn't your thing, then feel free to try any one of our other genealogy resources, all available for free with your bibliotech card. And now we're back.
1: You know, in the synopsis, it talks about family-run vice in the city of Galveston in the 1930s. And I just think that that's so interesting. So was there um, something that you researched or that you learned about during researching for this book that, you know, something that was like, oh, Absolutely. Favorite?
2: Oh, no, that I knew about um, this incredible world of dark glamour that had been created by the Maceo brothers of Galveston. And this is you know, a pretty well-known chapter in Texas history and you know, a beloved chapter of Texas history because it's, it's just so fabulous. Um, thanks to these two brothers who'd immigrated from Sicily, they both were barbers. They ended up first in New Orleans and then in Galveston. And there they were down in Galveston, barely speaking English, cutting hair for 10 cents or a quarter a head and they were approached by the leader of of a gang who was running bootleg and asked if they would store their bootleg liquor in their little barbershop and uh, they agreed and then when the time came for the payoff these brothers from sicily instead of taking the money asked if they could buy into the business and they did and uh you know there's some theories that you know, Sicily kind of has baked into its culture an understanding of how, uh, you know, in kind of a criminal sense, if you take care of your neighbors, they will take care of you. And the Maceo brothers instituted that philosophy in Galveston and turned Galveston into a world-class destination for the swankiest entertainment and nightlife that you could find anywhere in the country. They essentially turned Galveston into Las Vegas before Las Vegas existed. And movie stars came to stay at the Hotel Galvez and go to their extremely fancy dinner clubs and hear the best entertainers in the country, Phil Harris and Rudy Valley and uh, Nido De Sanctera, uh, who was also a... Dance, a marathon dancer, um, Duke Ellington. Uh, I, I'm forgetting this, but just like every Jimmy Durante, all these big, big, big names of the 30s. So essentially what they created in Texas was, as they had uh, in Atlantic City, a boardwalk empire, except that our version of the boardwalk empire the weather was better and the people were nicer. So yeah, I and then I just squeal with joy. When, knowing this history, I squeal with joy when I found a photograph of a packed city auditorium taken on the first day of a dance marathon held in September, 1930 in Galveston, Texas. And so um, I was delighted that I has had a historical basis in which to set the majority of the action of the novel.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm a, I'm a huge uh, fan of history. I love historical fiction. Uh, so, action. yeah, listening to you talk about the research that you that. did, it's just so interesting.
2: You know, honestly, I could spend the rest of my life researching. <laughs> that period, um, and. You know, I I was just really startled at what a huge phenomenon these dance marathons had been, how influential on the culture they had been, and how they're virtually forgotten now. Uh, Do and if any people have any impression, any idea, it's from that movie, which one of the first things I found out was the movie they shoot horses, don't they? Was based on a novel by this guy named Horace McCoy, veiled screenwriter, who was had worked as a bouncer at a dance uh, in Santa Monica Pier. And Horace set out the, with the idea in his head that he was gonna write the first American existential novel. As you know, this is like Sartre and Camus and the, not exactly a jolly group. So. He started out with the idea that he was going to write a dark novel, and it is indeed a dark novel Uh, in reading it. um, I discovered that the thing Horace had left out in in taking into consideration this period and this phenomenon, of the uh, dance marathons of the Great Depression, Horace had kind of left out the Great Depression. And that I think anyone evaluating, you know, whether, whether or not these dance marathons were exploitative, you have to factor in how desperate the times were. And so, uh, you know, how, how maybe sleazy the promoters might have been, or they fed and housed people who otherwise might not have had a place to sleep, might not have certainly would not have been fed as well as they were in these dance marathons. Of course, the catch was they had to remain in motion constantly. The longest dance marathon lasted five and a half months. During that time, the contestants had to remain in motion, except for a 10, like essentially they got 11 minutes every hour off their feet and you know clearly that would not be enough to survive on and the ones who eventually succeeded had to learn to sleep on their feet so one partner would stay awake the other partner would be draped over them in some way and the partner who was awake would guide them around the floor so in this way they did in fact stay in constant motion and this sleepwalking was done when the audiences were extremely sparse or non-existent um but during during the peak hours when the live band played and they turned up the lights and the stands were full of people they danced you know and they did special performances charleston and the lindy and uh, there were comedians and vendors selling food people did bring lunches and and suppers and stayed and slept there so these these were important events during a very dark time in our country's histi- history
1: awesome well so all of that being said the heroine the history is so interesting um, what do you hope will be something that the readers take away from from reading your novel
2: i'm glad you asked <laughs> I know you're supposed to use it. What was that famous line? If you want to send a message, use Western Union. Wow. I uh, I did have something in mind. And I from the very beginning, I wanted to pivot the book around the nomination of Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1932 at the Democratic National Convention that was held in Chicago. And so I was writing this book during the early part of the pandemic and also i was you know obviously reading the news about the last election that we just lived through which i think um was a very very consequential election and the election of fdr extremely consequential in american history so fdr uh, was was running against the incumbent president who had been in office during throughout the great depression herbert hoover and Herbert, Herbert Hoover and his predecessor, Calvin Coolidge, firmly believed that to uh, aid the Amer- American citizens in a substantial way would undercut their motivation. And so they were um, advocates of the pull yourself up by your bootstrap school of thinking. In the same way, you know, you might you know, compare it to those who thought, you know, we should just do nothing about the pandemic and government should not intervene in that. Uh, Certainly not vaccinations, which were, as we saw, eventually vilified. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was not of that school. He was a devoted Democrat. And he said early and often, there is no way the average citizen can pull himself out of what was essentially a worldwide economic disaster. The government must step in and help. And he promised that he would try things. And he said, if, if one thing doesn't work, we will try something else. And that's what he did with the New Deal programs, the programs of the New Deal, which instituted things like social security, which are still points of contention. A lot of programs that are still have become points of contention, in spite of the fact that they're extremely successful. And they did what FDR set out to have them do. They pulled the country out of the worst of the depression. The common belief is that World War II ended the Great Depression. And that was the dramatic finish to the Great Depression. But had nothing been done before we reached World War II, we would, America would not have had the capability to aid the Allies, um, to help fight the Germans, to turn back the Nazis. So um, the election of FDR was a big moment, and it was a huge moment of optimism in the country, and people rallied around FDR, and they stood with him, and he tried things, and they tried things, and they kept trying things until they found the things that worked. So, I, uh, I, you know, I think it's still a lesson for us in this very, 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 divisive time in our country to recall uh, the miraculous things that can happen when we work together and when we understand a common purpose and and, you know, have a return to what we used to devote ourselves to, which was the common good so that. Um, That little light was flickering in the back of my head as I wrote the book. So
0: we're going to go ahead and take a little break here and enjoy listening to our pre-recorded ad breaks.
2: Fly into math with Omega Owls at Bibliotech South. Keep your math skills sharp with fun puzzles of all difficulties and earn your Techie Math Champs badge. Held every first and third Thursday of the month from 2 to 3 p.m., and we are back.
1: That's really cool. Honestly, growing up, FDR was kind of a personal hero of mine as a child. Excellent. Uh, yeah, le- <laughs> le- learning about him, the Green New Deal. Uh, I'm sorry, the the, the New Deal. Um, his work to get us out of World War II. It's funny that you mentioned that his two predecessors had such a different philosophy from him, and how much of the
2: debate going on back then is right. Yes, yeah, same. About now, so. Yeah, exactly. Some of the main issues are still in play today. Uh, Roosevelt warned that the greatest uh, enemies to democracy are wealth inequality. And at that time, there were strongmen, there were authoritarian regimes taking root throughout Europe. And he said, these strongmen regimes are enemies of democracy. So, uh, had the same issues in play and and the idea of helping the little man to get the country going again was 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 a big issue and obviously turned out to be the correct answer definitely a lot of parallels there yeah i i mean honestly i did too and i found it interesting um reading about fdr after he was elected in his first fireside chat, right? So he had these wonderful, very, very influential fireside chats in which first president to speak directly to the nation over the radio. And in his first one, at the point he came in office, the American banking system was on the verge of collapse because all these terrified citizens had taken what remained of their savings out. You know, they'd seen their life savings vanish after the stock market crashed. And then what savings they had, they took out and, you know, hit under the mattress and whatnot. And FDR went on the radio and explained to people why they had to put their money back into the American banking system. And this just gives me goosebumps. The next day, there were lines around the block, people holding big jars of pennies and wads of ones and saved the American banking system. And then I compared that to the uh, Information that we all got about the miracle of this vaccination that could, you know, essentially leave you immune to a deadly virus. And the reaction there, how much contention arose against this to me, you know, obvious unalloyed good and clearly the thing to do at this point. So, um, you know, sometime between the fireside chat and our various uh, information outlets we have today, the American people have have been exposed to a lot of bad information and then you know forgotten how to trust good information. So I saw that as another parallel.
0: Yeah, so you mentioned that while you were researching for this book that the digital library um, really <laughs> helped you, <laughs> and so since we are a digital library, I just right. wanted to ask what your thoughts were on a digital library like us.
2: I think it is brilliant. Hail to you and what you're doing. Every every researcher around the globe salutes you. The more, uh, the more sources we can have available online, uh, the better. Them, you know, they've transformed digital sources. resources, have transformed the writing of historical fiction. I, I um, it's improved the quality dramatically, but so much of, uh, of my sources, it could only find online because uh, the documentation like the archival, the book documentation for the dance marathons is pretty skimpy. I mean, it's shockingly thin, uh, Do I would say by and large to the fact that it was mostly what was considered a low class entertainment, so there aren't these great archives like there are for uh, ballet or theater but not. Um, but online, I found I found the newspaper articles I needed and I found self published memoirs, which you know obviously would never have ended up in a library and. Um, just all, uh, you know, photos, the images I found were extremely useful and inspirational. There's a, a great painting of the Great Depression, which although it is housed in Austin, it, I, you know, the museum was closed. So, but fortunately I could get it online. So hail, hail to the digital library, hail to digital resources and I salute what you're doing. So um, it was really cool to hear about how, again, so many parallels, you know, between what inspired you to write and now Um, what would help you, like maybe say if you ever had writer's block during this period, like what would you do to just kind of, okay, this is going to get me back into writing or, you know, I have fresh ideas, let's go. You know, the thing, the thing that always gets me juiced up is when I feel like I have information that isn't widely known, That I have a, you know, that it's the untold story, that it's something we haven't heard a jillion times. That really inspires me. That definitely was in play with this. You know, I just kept reading everything I read. I go like, I didn't know this, you know, and I've always been interested in this topic and I didn't know and I can't wait to share it. And with my last novel, Daughter of a Daughter of a Queen, that was definitely an untold story. It's a story about the only woman to serve with the Buffalo Soldiers. Kathy Williams, Kathy or Cathay as as she's frequently called, served for two years with the Buffalo Soldiers, the legendary black troops who were formed after the Civil War. And I first heard that story in 1978 when I was photographing uh, documenting African-American rodeos. And it just, you know, it haunted me for 40 years until I finally said, I have to tell this story. It's just, it's just has to be known. So I find a lot of inspiration and a lot of motivation in feeling like I, I have a story that I think people will find interesting that they haven't heard before. Um, and in both this book and in the last book, I felt like it was a story that needed to be told, that needed to be part of the American story.
0: No, I just want to say thank you again for joining us today on our podcast as we're getting this started. Oh, cool. Um, thank you for your patience and hey, <laughs> thank please. you for your participation. Please. Um, <laughs> Do you have there's, any quick? Oh,
2: go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, there's, uh, there's always a glitch. There, <laughs> there's always, always. You just like, yeah, of course, there's a glitch. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, Ruby, you'll, you'll have a little message from me going, hello, are we still doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I uh, that.
0: Do you have any
2: questions for us? Uh, so what's your? Do you have like a. a Oh, never mind. At some point, I want to come and visit your outfit and see see what a digital library looks like. It's just a bunch of laptops,
0: a bunch of computers. We have um, we personally have how many Um, we have 36 um, Mac Mac computer Mac desktop computers that patrons can come in and use. We even have devices that people can check out. We offer Wi-Fi hotspots for those that don't have internet at home. And we oh, offer children's important. children's launch pads um, that children can check out. And we even have Kindles and even Chromebooks um, for the community that, to check out.
2: That is so important. You know, you have to have that digital equality because it's 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 a handicap. It's a huge handicap not to have access, good, good access to Wi Fi and digital resources and you know, I, I, don't know if it's good or bad. But the majority of my reading now is stuff I borrow from the library and read on my phone. Hey, awesome. <laughs> That's <good. Excellent> <laughs> but it just gives me access to so many more books. And I know everyone I know reads more, thanks to these digital resources. So Hail to you for advancing literacy in that way.
1: Well, thank you so much, Sarah, AKA Empress Bird. (laughs) uh,
2: (laughs) I was wondering if that would catch on. (laughs) (laughs) uh,
1: It was lovely speaking to you. I'm looking forward to reading the book myself. It sounds so interesting and uh, look forward to seeing you out at the Essay Book Fest on Saturday. Oh yeah, 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 yeah.
2: I I would love to meet you all in person. This was a fun chat. Definitely. She well, thank, thank you what you're so doing much. There. <laughs> <laughs> we would love to have you. you oh, know, whenever yeah, definitely you to come, come by. <laughs> so, for sure. Mm-hmm. Look forward I'll to figuring that out. Let's figure <laughs> that out. Thank you so much. I really well, enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You too. We'll see you later. We'll see you at the Book Fest, hopefully.
2: See you in SA, my fave. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye.
0: And that's a wrap. Thanks guys for listening to that awesome very first author interview that we have ever done with Miss Empress Sarah Bird. Stay tuned for more author interviews coming up and more episodes.